feels good to be back. I hope you guys have been looking forward to this as much as I have. And not to mistake me, I actually really enjoy streaming, and I really, really enjoyed doing lore runs. Uh, but it is also nice to get back to doing a good old-fashioned rumination. Now, uh... I also want to say, for those of you not aware, I've been looking into getting slightly different uniforms for my show. For those of you not aware, for those of you who don't notice, I try to wear a bit of a standardized outfit each given feature I do, you know, that I think of as my uniforms. I know some of you have noticed this. I know some of you have even commented on this. I was really hoping to get a particular outfit from Babylon 5. I can't actually even talk about it without really spoiling, but it's basically one of the outfits that a certain commander wears a couple of seasons from now. <clears throat> you probably know the one I'm thinking of, if you've seen the show. And it doesn't exist. Like, there are people who custom make that, but there's nobody who sells it. And then, and then very recently, today, actually, I went looking, just out of curiosity, and it turns out one of the my favorite cosplay, you know, uh, uniform sites, uh, Cosplay Sky, actually, finally has a Babylon 5 uniform at all. They didn't have one before. I'm like, sweet! And I look at it, it's the standard black military uniform, uh, Earth, Earth, uh, EarthGov uniform. And I'm like, well, okay, I could accept that. How much is it? $200. I don't make that kind of money, guys. <laughs> so, you're going to get me in my awesome coat, uh, like you always have. Sorry. Now, uh, I feel kind of bad. I, as ever, I, I always feel like I, I need to apologize when I don't have too much to talk about. We're not going to have a, a Deutsch box in this particular episode. We are, however, going to have a pretty big spoiler section. So, as ever, remember, as a bit of a reminder, it's been a while, our policies on spoilers on this show are you can spoil stuff up to and including the episode the video is in. So if you want to put a comment in this episode that spoils something from three episodes from this, or in this episode, that's okay. If you want to spoil something from season five, that's not okay. And I do have uh, the filter on comments turned on so I can catch spoilers like that to make sure nobody's trying to ruin anybody's day. So I'm just giving you a bit of a refresher on that. So, first thing I want to say is poor Ivanova. Now, I actually have a thing for uh, of sympathy for her, because I don't really care for mornings either. I'm not much of a morning person. I, it is very difficult for me to get up in the morning, even when I actually am well-rested, which I am usually not. And I... It's funny because... Well, I'll talk about that in a moment. But then, of course, they pull that horrific prank on her as she, she is lulled into sleep. It's like, oh, man, that was a good breakfast. You ready to go? <laughs> That is so wonderfully mean. But believe it or not, I have something to comment on that scene. There's actually two scenes in this episode which are not padding, but are extending the duration of the episode. Let me explain what I mean by this a little bit. Actually, probably my favorite example of this ever is in... Uh, there's actually an episode of TNG, and I can't remember the name of it. It's the one where Data starts dreaming. I don't remember the name of the episode, forgive me. And there's a scene with Riker and Worf walking down a corridor, which they added to increase the runtime of the episode. And that scene is a perfect example of what I'm about to talk to you about. I like to call it filling. Now, I have talked many times on my show against padding when it comes to any form of fiction. Writing, uh, you know, books, movies, television, video games. Uh, I guess that pretty much covers the gamut. It doesn't matter. I don't like padding. Uh, very recently, uh, it, and, uh, the awesome gentleman, the one joker, on my stream when we were discussing the Wild Lore run, actually, we had a discussion about this back and forth about how we call it, I call this fat, 
you know, I don't want too much fat in my game because in a game padding is usually it comes in the form of grind by my definition of grind aka something you don't enjoy doing that is basically just fleshing out making it take longer without any actual additive to the gameplay or to the story or anything like that and he and I discussed this back and forth we made kind of a compromise in that he felt there was a difference between watered down sloshed out fat which is what I would have previously defined as fat and then fat that adds to flavor now, what he is defining with fat that adds to flavor is what I would define as filling. In other words, something that is not grind because it does add to the experience. Grind, by definition, adds nothing. It only takes up time. Padding, by definition, adds nothing. It only takes up time. And thus, as you might imagine, padding is going to be difficult to define because whether or not it adds something or not is going to be up to you, the individual, to decide that. That being said, there's usually some pretty distinct differences between padding and filling, especially when it comes to television. Because filling will try to do something to either entertain or to try and add to something. And I'll talk a little bit more about these the two filling scenes we have in this episode. But padding, you can really tell that padding's only purpose is we need this scene to take 40 seconds longer, you know? And so to give you this first example, the entire intro scene, the breakfast scene, is full-on filling. But the reason I call it filling and not padding is twofold. Number one, it does actually have to do with the plot. It's actually a quiet way to insert the plot into things, as she mentions that she was woken up early by the tachyon emission, which will lead eventually to the Babylon 4 situation. The other thing, which amuses me greatly, is the fact that it really helps to flesh out the characters. It's a character-building moment. It shows the friendship that exists between the three of them, and most importantly, it once again demonstrates that almost instinctual connection that both Sinclair and Garibaldi have. Without even having to communicate, both of them immediately knew what the other was going to do with this whole thing. And once Sinclair had lured her to a brief dozing off, they were just quietly like, all right, quick, quick. You know, that kind of unspoken friendship, which not many people have. I have it with a few people myself in real life, and I love it. And I like the presentation of that. I'm going to go ahead and talk about the other filling scene now, since I'm talking about it now. It's when they're in the cockpit of the, the craft, and they've got like two hours before they get to Babylon 4. And so Garibaldi actually says, you know, we've got two hours of time to fill. So you mind asking a question? Okay, what's the question? And the question is, do you uh, unzip and then unbelt, buckle your belt? Or do you unbuckle and then unzip? Now, it's a silly, ridiculous, meaningless question. But first of all, it is very Garibaldi. He has sort of a... I don't even know what to call it. He has very unique flavor to him uh, for all of his incredible detective skill and his thorough nature, which will come up, coming up again in the future. Uh, many times, actually. He has a tendency to fret about little things, and it's actually one adds a wonderful human charm to him. But that's what I'm bringing to him as a whole. Both these scenes are filling for me because both of them add to the overall flavor of the experience. In this case, we are seeing two guys who are real people discussing things amongst each other. To, to explain what I mean by that, too often television writers especially, but this is also applies to movies, uh, tend to get trapped into that mentality that every scene must matter for the plot. Every scene must contain some significance. Every scene must be important. And they tend to forget what I have taken to starting to refer to as the Studio Ghibli effect. Uh, in other words, the small perspective, the little down-to-earth, 
almost O'Brien effect nature of things. And what we see in these scenes, both of them, but especially the one in the ship, is just two people talking. It helps make them feel more human rather than like giants, rather than like men who are larger than life and standing astride destiny, saving the lives of all around them. That's fine in its own place, but it's nice to see them as just guys every now and again. It's nice to see them as just people every now and again, like in the earlier scene where Ivanova is just like, uh, and they're just like, uh, you know. The combination there makes them feel much, much more real and much more human and much more believable. And that, for me, is very much more filling than it is padding. Now that I've just praised the hell out of the writing, let me bash the writing. See, JMS is, in my opinion, overall a good writer. He is an excellent story builder, and he does some good character stuff, but he has one pretty major flaw, that he doesn't know how to handle drama. I understand that. I actually have that same flaw myself. It is difficult for me to properly get across impact in my story. Uh, usually I do that, you know, nowadays I have cheated, I have learned to cheat by basically not presenting impact and letting the viewer make, you know, figure it out for themselves, at which point they develop their own impact without me having to tell them it. JMS, at least at the time of, of writing of Babylon 5 here, and especially in this episode, he tends to overplay the melodrama of it. The, the first several scenes really hype that up, and it's like, oh my god, Babylon 5, or excuse me, it's, it's, I can't be, I can't be looking at what I'm looking at, but I'm looking at it. Oh my god, it would take me three seconds to say what I'm looking at, but I have to keep talking about how incredible it is that it's there. Oh no, I've been interrupted before I can actually say anything about it. No, you know, and then, uh, and there's several things like that in the first several chunks of the episode, and it really does just kind of make me go roll my eyes a bit. Um, that being said, I do sympathize. I'm sure several of you out there understand this just as well as I do. The desire to get a story out there. Especially when you have a story and you've got a plot twist or you've got a reveal. And you've been holding on to that reveal. And you just, you want to tell someone, don't you? You want the audience to finally get that reveal. You want to have that payoff for it. And I've actually spoken before about how some writers, you know, especially people who have just started writing, uh, will jump to it. They'll be like... Here's the secret, and here's the answer, because they just they want to get to the good stuff, so to speak, right? Well, it's understandable to me, because JMS himself, in, in an interview, has actually flat out said how much he really, 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 really wanted to, to write Babylon Squared. It was one of the most looking forward to episodes in the list for him. He had been so wanting to pay off that buildup about Babylon 4, which is funny because, and I don't think this is a spoiler, this is not the final payoff of the Babylon 4 situation. The episode itself pretty much says that. So, yes, I don't feel this is a spoiler. Babylon 4 will be back in the future as well. A future from our perspective. I'm not necessarily saying it'll be in the future of the past. But it'll be later on in the show. And so I get that he really wanted to have that impact. He wanted to have that moment. And so it's logical that he was a little over-enthused about it. Um... <clears throat> So let's talk about Zathras. Poor, poor Zathras. And a very, very typical standard example of a Cassandra Truth sort of a situation. Uh, for those of you who don't aware, the, you know, the one person who knows the truth, but no one, who will, no one will listen to it kind of a thing. I, I feel for him. Um, but I do want to say this. He's no Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay, let me explain what I mean by that. I have often said that there's no such thing. I, like, I, I have actually received legitimate arguments. Even people I normally agree with have violently disagreed with me on this point. Uh, in real life, on the show, I don't think everything should be interesting to everyone. 
to explain what I mean by that, some people think there are certain subjects that everyone should be interested in, that they should find interesting, science and math being two prominent examples. I disagree with that because I think that variances of opinion and preference and uh, desires and interests and hobbies is one of the interesting things that makes us human, or that variance, that differences between ourselves. There are people out there who really, really, really genuinely enjoy seismology and the ability to predict and move, you know, movements of the earth. There are people out there who really enjoy the formation of clouds. There are people out there who really enjoy video games. And there are people out there who really enjoy the mechanics of cars without actually going into the function of them. And so forth and so on. You know, that's the very definition of a hobby, isn't it? That kind of an interest. But I bring this up because one thing I also feel is that with proper presentation value, anything can be made interesting, even science. Now, I find science fascinating. In fact, I absolutely love certain aspects of science, most notably physics and uh, quantum physics and astro uh, astronomical phenomena in general. So, you know, astronomy. Um, but that, oh, and robotics and programming. Moving on. Um, I, I tend to find that sort of stuff fascinating. But even I will admit, if you have a boring old professor or a, a dry textbook, even though it's a subject I'm already interested in, it'll just come across as, ugh, and I will lose interest, if the very least in the moment. Um, you know, it's, it's the encyclopedia effect. Reading an encyclopedia is not the most engaging way to present information, but it is also not the only way to present information. Now, I know this is an ideal, and there's no way in real life for everything to be presented in a way that's interesting, but it is possible to take any subject and make it seem interesting if you have the proper tools to do so. And the single most important tool in that list is charisma. If you have someone who knows how to present something, if you have someone who knows how to make you interested in something and to look at this and try to explain it and not dumb it down, I want to make that clear, but they actually present it as it is based on the actual facts and the reasonability and you know how it actually is. I'm sorry, I'm trying really hard to break myself of the popping my fingers habit. I don't even think about it. I don't even notice it most of the time. Um, they're, uh, they know how to present themselves. They know how to have that charisma and their presentation value so that it's interesting. And I've often said that Neil deGrasse Tyson is one of, not the only, but one of the better individuals to present to, to explain this theory of mine, that he makes science interesting. Now, some people, of course, would disagree with that. In fact, there are people out there who call him a fake scientist, and I want to slug those people in the face. However, the fact of the matter remains, as it is relevant to the episode, Zathras is probably one of the worst possible presenters of the information he's got. You might as well put a tinfoil hat on him and make him be running around in a, a big old billboard thing, for God's sakes, you know? It's, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And I don't blame anyone for not believing him. In fact, probably my favorite line regarding Zathras in this one is Sinclair's line. Do you believe him? I don't know but I know he does, or something like that. In other words, that he believes that Zathras is sincere in his own mind, but that's about as far as that goes. Not the best, uh, best thing there. So, um, I do feel very bad for Garibaldi. Uh, you know, the time jump to back when Lisa effectively left him, slash he left her, slash they left each other situation. And that sucks. And having to go through that kind of a breakup again, especially given how much he obviously and clearly does care about her, had to have really hurt seeing that again. And my heart goes out to him. 
I, his, his line afterwards, I'm ready to get the hell off this place, really nailed, nailed that one home for me. Uh, I want to talk, uh, I want to shift gears here a little bit. I want to talk about the Grey Council. It is interesting, uh, the presentation of it. They are formally shown, finally, for the first time, they are really, really shown. And we get to see a little insight into their politics. We also get to see something that we've had hints of before, and arguably this is just another hint of, the very rigid structural nature of their political infrastructure, their leadership, their organization of their government. You know, this has never happened before. We have never re reconvened before. We have never had someone decline before. You know, the idea of being selected for leadership is also viewed as a general negative, something that is an honor, certainly, but a burden. The idea that whoever has to lead their people is someone who is engaging in a lifetime of servitude. Now, that is extremely Minbari. And it makes sense, given their overall culture and society. But I do find that interesting, given how many people in how many cultures of how many worlds and species and fiction in real life tend to view leadership as something you aspire to, something you want. Whether it's for power or money or the benefits of power or because you believe you can do good or maybe because you screw everyone or whatever. It doesn't even matter. There's plenty of reasons for wanting to crawl up to the top. I also uh, find it interesting that this is the second time we have seen what they refer to now as a triluminary little device. Uh, we saw it once before in, regarding Sinclair, where it was shown in front of him. In fact, if you pay attention, it's actually during the intro sequence of this very episode, and all my Babylon 5 episodes in Season 1. And uh, it obviously has some great significance to them, given its presentation there. You don't use basically the exact same prop like that and have only have it appear twice and not have it have some kind of significance to the Potter story. Now... I will say this, this episode, the last thing I want to talk about in this episode, I really want to give props to a couple of scenes in particular. First of all, the scene where all the people are scra scrabbling to get away, and he's like, all right, five more, stop, five more, stop, made perfect sense from both sides. The people being terrified and wanting to get away, perfect sense making. The fact that they couldn't just let them all storm off, perfect sense making. You don't just send a mob after the shuttles. You ever, you ever say, okay... Imagine this for a moment. You got a hundred people here. You've got ten ships. Each ship can hold ten people. Nobody thinks more likely to succeed. If you just say, "All right, go," or if you say, ten people go to that way. Wait till they're gone." Ten people go that way. Wait till they're gone. That is called organization. In fact, it is a form of administration. And uh, while I have spoken about that topic recently, and from your perspective, I will be speaking about that topic in the future this Friday, because um, I've already finished that video from my perspective. Uh, Nevertheless, it is worth noting that even though administ you know, total administration is probably a bad thing, it, there is some benefits to be said for having things being administered rather than simply turning things into a chaotic or a disorganized mess of a mob. I also want to uh, give some praise to several of the bits of foreshadowing they do in this episode. Um, and I, I, I think that's about all I can talk about that before we finally hit this. So uh, some of you have spoken out to me saying you don't really care for the, the clacks and sound effect I've been doing, you know, with myself, with my own mouth. So we're going to do a slightly different sound effect here for the, uh, you know, for, for the spoiler section. So I do hope you'll endure this with me. <clears throat> no, that doesn't do it for you either. 
that's fine. I actually have another idea that I started using over in uh, in the WoW lore run, actually. I feel it's a very clear and distinct way. It gives you tons of warning. And this is pretty much what we're going to be doing from now on, on every aspect of my show. So, <clears throat> spoiler warning in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. It was his sled. We're not going to do that last part each time. I just figured, you know, for the first time. <clears throat> so the Triluminary, right? Uh, I don't know if this was ever officially 100% confirmed. I actually can't recall off the top of my head. But it's pretty clear to me, based on actually looking at the thing, that it's actually an alliance, Earth, EarthGov uh, communicator chip of some time that's been programmed by Sinclair in order to react to certain people and do certain things uh, with regards to how it's used throughout the show. And I really like that. Uh, nice little touch. You can actually see that even this early on. It's just it's very difficult to break out. So I thought that was cool. Um... I know some people have asked me to speak out against this episode, and I can't, while this is not exactly a great episode, and I'll admit that, I can't really bring myself to bash it for the reasons that are usually brought up, and those reasons are continuity problems. Uh, there's actually lists out there, multiple lists out there, that compare and contrast this episode with War Without End. Uh, and the off chance you're still watching this, uh, and for some reason don't know what I'm talking about, War Without End is where we kind of re-go over the events of this episode in the future. Makes sense. Time travel, etc. So, um, the there are several continuity gaps between those two things. Some of the events happen in one that didn't happen in the other, and blah blah blah. And that is, I'm not going to say unforgivable, but I'm not willing to give them slack for it. Now, on the one hand, I am willing to give them positive for it. I'm not willing to absolutely say that they failed outright, because that's stupid. The fact that they were at least willing to try to have that kind of continuity across two episodes is admirable. And it is worth noting that it's hard, easier said than done to maintain that kind of continuity from one episode to another episode, and War Without End is quite a ways from now. However, it is also worth noting that it's not that hard to, when you're preparing to write the new episode, literally go back and watch the previous one takes about 40 minutes, and you could have a piece of paper right with you and take notes just to make sure you get everything lined up. So I'm willing to give them praise for this episode, for the fact that they tried, for the fact that they did it at all, and for the fact that other than the, I think it's like 10 or so uh, flaws, it does fit, but I'm also calling them out for the fact that those 10 or so flaws exist because there's no real reason for that to happen. Not when you have access to the previous written work. You can adjust the new work to adapt to the old work that you can't change anymore. Right. Um, the uh, now the last thing I want to talk about is actually I, I'm sorry, you know, short episode. Last thing I want to talk about. Uh, so Sinclair in this episode has a vision of of the shadows invading Babylon Five. For anybody who have ever wondered, that's what the vision is when he's with Garibaldi and they're oh my god. Um, the enemy they're fighting, they've got people who... There's, like, hints of it. There's a flamethrower there, and some of the people just shoot randomly, not entirely certain where. That's kind of a hint at the fact that it's the shadows. As we will learn in the future, the shadows have very good cloaking technology, even on, you know, a personal, individual basis. And so that's, however, kind of off. As, as I've talked many, many times before in my show, especially over on Voyager... When you introduce time travel 
to any fictional work, you are opening a can of worms. And it should be, in my opinion, very carefully done and very carefully executed. I've also been vocal in the past where I've said that there are very, very few good time travel stories. There are mostly good stories that happen to have time travel in them. And my, my er example of that is always Back to the Future, which has extremely inconsistent time travel, even with its own rules. And yet at the same time, I absolutely love the hell out of those three movies. I even watched them recently with my mom when she was visiting. Still love them. They're still amazing. But the time travel aspect, meh. Now, I bring this up because Babylon 5 introducing time travel was a very unusual can of worms. And with one really big exception, they mostly keep consistent to their own rules. And that's the important part. If you're going to introduce time travel, make it self-consistent. Don't, you don't have to make it consistent with real life. You don't have to make it consistent with anything else. You, know, you have to make it consistent with itself. And that is the biggest problem with introducing that kind of time travel. I've talked before several times in several of the works I've looked at where the game or the movie or the episode didn't even adhere to its own rules within the episode of how they approach time travel. In fact, to be blunt, there's another episode that I'm actually not looking forward to talking about this yet again over on Voyager called Endgame. It's the series finale of Voyager where they completely mangle their own rules of time travel. They literally say, if I change this, everything will be changed. But the very premise of the episode is that if I change this, nothing will be changed. This is not me making this up. This is not me exaggerating. They have these two literally diametrically oppositely opposed ideas in the same episode because they just weren't trying with that one. I'm not trying to bash Voyager. I'm just saying in that episode, they screw that up hard. Babylon 5 is usually much more consistent about it. Babylon 5 uses what I use, the time as a linear line theory. That's actually what I call that. Uh, other people have other terms for that, and I forget what they are off the top of my head. The idea is that time is just one consecutive line, and any time you time travel, you always time travel. There's no initiating point, if you understand what I mean. So if you're going along the timeline here, and you bounce back to here, from the perspective of here, it's going along and then you're here because you always jumped back through time. There was no timeline where you never jumped back through time. Make sense? It was all always what has always happened. Now in a linear time theory, it is absolutely fundamentally impossible to alter time because it all always happened and all always will. Make sense? So however thing now so that's my preferred way of writing time travel is that, in fact, in the Imperium, my own storyline, that is the form of time travel that is used. Time is a linear line. In fact, most people who have access to time travel in that setting usually use it for observation rather than interaction because of that very, very, that very reality. Um, Babylon 5 usually approaches that. Anytime people try time travel, all they do is complete history. They never change it. And we see this rather clearly in this episode with the elderly Sinclair and Delenn. Now, the thing is, one of the visions of the future that Sinclair has is of Babylon 5 under Sinclair's leadership being assaulted and basically destroyed by the shadows. Now, that never happens. This is also referenced in War Without End, where they talk about the Great Shadow War, with the shadows won absolutely, which also doesn't happen. The way this is presented, and this is why I say this is inconsistent, because the time is a linear line theory is actually inconsistent with the multiple realities theory, which is every time you go to alter time, you, you spawn a separate reality rather than changing your own existing timeline. Uh, Star Trek, 
has used that one too. Star Trek's used all the various methods of time travel, but in the most recent movie reboots, they're using that theory. Spock went back in time and spawned a separate timeline from the original. Didn't erase the original. Didn't change the original. New timeline entirely. You know, kind of a blank sheet, but also with some bits and pieces of the original since time, the two timelines were identical up to that, that change. Make sense? So they try to portray this as these things either being potential futures which is a whole other mess of blah, 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 or alternate timelines that have either been collapsed or have never come to pass for our heroes. And again, the whole Shadows attacking, Shadows winning thing, both in this episode and War Without End, are consistent with that idea. The problem is the time as a linear line theory doesn't work with the multiple timelines theory because those two are, again, once again, completely at odds with each other. Either each time you travel, you're spawning a timeline, or each time you time travel, you always did time travel, so you're completing rather than changing. You, you can kind of see how these things are at odds with each other, right? I just realized I am the opposite of Neil deGrasse Tyson here, because I'm probably explaining this terribly. But the point is, I feel like this is actually probably one of the biggest flaws of this in the next episode. There's two things they brought into Babylon 5 that I don't care for. I mean the whole series. One of them is the time travel, which I just kind of discussed. The other is the, the more... <sighs> magical side of things for any for a lack of a better way to put that and it's not like I don't like magic in my sci-fi in fact the vast majority of the settings I've written even ignoring the overall Imperium are a combination of fantasy and sci-fi I have no problem mixing those I just feel like they get a little bit too ill-defined in Babylon 5 and I don't like that because Babylon 5 in general is actually very well defined it is very hard science for the most part. It is very concrete. It feels more real. Remember that speech I gave earlier about the scenes between Garibaldi and Ivanova and Sinclair and then later Garibaldi and, and Sinclair? Those scenes made this feel like something that was actually happening rather than a story. But when you see those kind of more fantastical, ill-defined elements that feel less thought out, it makes it feel more like a story and it pulls me a little bit more out of the work. That's just my opinion, by the way. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I know some people prefer magic that isn't defined, for example, whereas I prefer magic to be presented as another form of science. And those are two different viewpoints, and there's nothing wrong with either of them, at least in my opinion. So I'm just giving you my thoughts on this. Um, as ever, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Please, if you're going to comment on you know, War Without End or anything like this, please mark, at the very least, you know what, don't, don't. Just don't comment on it. We're just going to avoid that. I know some of you have been putting big old spoiler tags by stuff. I've only been allowing some of those comments because they're not really spoilers. Uh, please don't do that. I know for a fact several people are watching this show, you know, my, my ruminations of it, alongside the series for the first time, and I really don't want to spoil it for them, guys. Okay, so work with me on this one, okay? Um, next week, a really awesome episode. We're, we're doing some great episodes one on one here. I'm looking forward to it, so I will see you guys next time. It's great to be back. <laughs> it's great to see you guys again. Thank <laughs> you.